The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Proof tonight, if you ever needed it, of the power of education to truly transform lives. So much of our focus of trying to fix the mistakes of the past is in treating the symptoms. So lots of money goes to those that protest the loudest because they naturally feel hard done by. But we know from countless studies that if we're going to fix the country, if we're going to sort out education, it has to start in pre-primary go through primary and into high school. And that's where you tee young people up for a considerably better future than just throwing money at the student issue. Um, And as much as students want a tertiary education, it's going to be put, it's putting lipstick on the education bulldog. It's not solving the problem. You're not providing the grounding that young people need in order to get the building blocks of great education. Um, and it's, tonight is a story of a, a not-for-profit school at Ottery in Cape Town. It's called Crystal House. The chair of Crystal House School is Ian Russell. Before we get to the school, who was Crystal, Ian? Oh, good evening, Bruce. Um, Crystal Dehan was uh, part of a partnership, an entrepreneurial partnership with her husband who created the original timeshare industry in the late 1970s into the 1980s. And when they retired and sold their business, they wanted to do the right thing with the pile of billions of dollars that they had. And part of that was creating a global foundation that now has eight schools around the world, of which we are one. And we are hugely grateful to the impact that Crystal has had on so many children. What is the connection to South Africa? What is Crystal's connection here? Uh, she lived and traded from here for a wee while and as a good Dutch family, spent quite a lot of time with the Afrikaans background here as well. So she had a, a big network in South Africa, loved uh, being here and she sadly passed away about six months ago, but she spent a lot of time in South Africa until her health began to fail her. Um, and uh, so what was she, what was the big goal? What was the aim of these eight schools and the, the one in Ottery? So the stated vision of the foundation and very much our focus here in Ottery is how do you break the cycle of poverty through the use of education as a key empowerment tool. Uh, And like many of us, and as you summed up in your introduction, Bruce, you know, the reality is that without an educated youth, you can't create an economically valuable population. And it's a critical building block of any economy anywhere in the world. Uh, And that's exactly what we're trying to do at Crystal House. So how do you do it? What, what makes you different? I mean, there are thousands of schools around South Africa in the public and private sectors. They're not-for-profit schools. They're for-profit schools. Um, lots, of, lots of people doing lots of different things. But I think the Crystal House model has got something very particular going for it. The Crystal House model has two or three things going for it. Number one, we have access and support from a global foundation, which means that we can listen and learn from seven other institutions around the world in terms of what does and doesn't work. And the way in which these schools were set up was very much in a cookie cutter approach. So we've adopted you know, very much a best of breed opportunity. We've learned what works in Mexico. We know what works in the Philippines. We know what works in Ottery. And we built a, around a very strong core curriculum. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we've always been absolutely focused on a self, self-sustaining ecosystem. So how do you make sure that whilst you need to raise funds to run these schools, as much of the community as possible is involved in the running of that school as well? So we have our own farm, as an example, where we grow uh, the foodstuffs that go into the canteen. The canteen then feeds the children. And of course, nutrition is such a critical part of enabling anybody to learn. You cannot learn on an empty tummy. 
But then we make sure that the parents of the children involved in that farm, or they might be processing the food in the canteen, they might be serving. So it's about how you start to create that sort of self-serving ecosystem around the population that's critical. Third thing is we've been relentless in ensuring that we manage to attract the right management teams and the right teaching capability into the school. And we have a very, very strong focus, uh, Crystal House Ottery, about making sure that the CEO and her team you know, really are the best of the best. And that impact that we can then make with those three building blocks has been quite remarkable. Um, the How do kids get into Crystal House? Because it's not a vast campus. There are tens of thousands of kids, though the, the queue sounds like it might be quite long. Um, oh, how do kids qualify to get in? So we wish we had tens of thousands. Uh, we have just under a thousand people in Ottery. We take them from the poorest of the families in sort of the, the neighboring 20 or so areas, our catchment areas, if you like. The um, key criteria is that the gross monthly income uh, for the household that the child comes from cannot be more than 1,500 rand. And sadly, that is still far, far more people than we can possibly take through. Yeah. So we bring the, the young children in. We try and take them in at the age of four, and we try and look after them to the age of 18 until they get to matrix. So again, you know, it's very much uh, an end-to-end -end theme that we take through that. And, and yes, there are more children than we can take in every year. And we look at um, the catchment pools that we've got, the most needy children that there are there, and we try and find them a home in the school for, for their education. How do you manage families with, with a couple of kids, with several kids, say two, three, four kids, um, and, and one kid gets in and now you're full and there are three kids waiting at the gate? Um, it, it creates all kinds of problems, doesn't it? If you sort of, if one kid gets a privilege to access to an institution that could change their life and the other three are left outside, it's a, that's a difficult balancing act, I'm sure. It, it, it absolutely, it, it occasionally happens. It doesn't happen routinely, but it occasionally happens. It's something that you need to manage. And one of the things we're looking at mm. the moment is we say, how can we expand our impact? Is how can we bring the families and communities close to the school tighter to what we're doing, even if their kids are not actually at the school. And it's something that we're working very thoughtfully on at the moment is what's the outreach program? How do we maybe open the, the buildings and some of the teaching capacity we've got out of hours at the weekends or in the evenings to some of the children not able to go through that? And we're having some of those conversations right now in terms of how we expand our impact. It is weird, isn't it? How schools, I mean, we, we've got a schools crisis in South Africa, but we're incapable. <laughs> Um, as a country to say, right, let's do two shifts. Let's do a, a 7 a.m. to a 2 p.m. and a 2 p.m. to a 7 p.m. or whatever the case is. Well, I mean, you'll do the maths, you're in education. Um, but we, we split the day somehow um, in order to double the, the, the size of the, you know, double the capacity we have. Um, and not every school is going to be suited to it and some will be more suited to, to it than others. And we, we just don't utilize these facilities and they stand dormant over weekends, the vast majority of schools. Um, when the gates close on a Friday, they reopen again on a Monday. It's such a waste of facilities, isn't it? Yeah, if you're in a manufacturing business, then you wouldn't allow your asset to lie idle for 12, 14 hours of the day. Um, so we're looking at that, as I say, very much at the moment. But it's not mm -hmm. just, unfortunately, the physical asset. You also need the teaching staff and True. the capability True. to come through into that. So we're looking at what might a, a vocational night school kind of approach be to so use those uh, facilities, let's say, from 6 until 10 in the evening, using some of the same teaching staff, but at least some of the infrastructure that we've got into that community. One of our biggest concerns at the moment, uh, interestingly, is the scaffolding and the support that we do or don't put in place for the children that leave at the age of 18. So if you think about this for a moment, you've kind of got an unfortunate, fortunate child that's had a good few years in the school. They've got a better quality education than many of their peers will have had access to. 
But if you don't then nurture and take care of that child as they go back out into the wild world, then, then you may lose some of the opportunity that's been given there. So how do we scaffold and make sure that those children are able to get through into university? I mean, uh, our matric... I want to right. talk about results in a moment because it's really impressive, the, the track record that you've developed. Um, and then you've got... The, then it's a wonderful problem to have, but it is a problem nevertheless to then transition those kids from school into higher education and perhaps support later on as well. These communities that these kids are coming from are some of the toughest in the country, in, in some cases, some of the toughest in the world. Um, and you know, just because you come from a poor area doesn't mean that your family is dysfunctional, doesn't mean that they, your area is dysfunctional, but it, you know, these environments are quite tough. Um, what is the, the parental participation um, in um, supporting the farm, supporting the kitchens, supporting the children, because so much of education is great in the classroom, but then kids go home to often very difficult environments. It's a huge issue, and we are so lucky in terms of the communities that we serve and the engagement that we have across that, but it doesn't come without effort and time and energy. We talk within the school of a character-led approach to the education. A lot of that character is formed within your family circumstances, not just in the school, of course. And we find that as we spend more time with the parents and we do our best in terms of outreach programs and so on to help them understand what their child is going through at school, that we do start to develop a bond. And as I say, some of that economic ecosystem that you're creating to self-sustain forms a key part of that as well. We're talking this evening to the chair of Crystal House SA School, Ian Russell, one of eight around the world from the proceeds of one of the creators of Timeshare um, through the 1980s and 90s. Her name was Crystal Dahan. She died fairly recently, but she's left this incredible legacy of schools across the world, the Philippines, Mexico, and of course, Ottery in Cape Town. Um, it is a school which uh, provides superior schooling uh, for kids from the age of four to 18 um, out of poorer communities in Cape Town, access uh, to just a thousand kids and tries to do it in a fair and equitable way in very difficult circumstances. But the results that these guys get are nothing short of extraordinary. And the outcomes for these children is what is so absolutely remarkable. We'll pick up on that with Ian Russell, the chair of Crystal House, in just a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Ian Russell is chair of Crystal House SA School. And the outcomes for children who go to Crystal House, these thousand kids from the community around Ottery, some of the poorest families in Cape Town, uh, yeah, these kids are given an opportunity to go into an, a, a, an environment, a school, um, that has got a global network that is funded by a foundation left by Crystal Dahan, who made her money out of timeshare. The How do you teach? Do you do things differently at Crystal House or is it simply teaching the old-fashioned way, teaching the South African curriculum in and giving the kids the focus, the time, the energy and the discipline that is needed in order to get decent outcomes? We absolutely teach the South African curriculum. There's no uh, way around that. Otherwise, your matric results and your fit for function into your own tertiary education system simply won't be there. So it's the application, as I said earlier, of a very holistic approach to, to the children in the school. It's understanding that um, they need to be fed properly. We need to have emotional and psychological support on site, and we do, to make sure that they're, they're, those needs are looked after. 
we understand they need they must work hard i mean they, they've been given an opportunity here so instilling that work ethic helping them understand that they have an opportunity not to be wasted all comes around that kind of character-led approach to education and we have a great educational team uh, that works very hard we lengthen the school day compared to uh, the government schools here deliberately we want to hold them at school a little bit longer they are safe at school they are well fed at school uh, and we want that access and contact time so our school day is a little bit longer but nothing other than that is outside of the ordinary in terms of the south african curriculum and approach what what do you do with that extra time um, so it's about making sure there's plenty of uh, contact time with teachers. Our class size is a little bit smaller than uh, most government schools would have as well. So it's all about just extending and making more immediate that teaching experience. Is there any sport? I mean, sport is uh, so valuable in any educational curriculum, but it's very difficult to do. Facilities are scarce. Time is tight. Um, coaching staff are difficult to come by. But do you include sport in the curriculum? Well, we used to before COVID-19, but uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, um, I'm talking the, about in the, the real school. world, not this fast. Yeah, no, it was a horrible time. Yes. We, all look, we all look forward oh. to getting back to business. Absolutely, sports, sport is a huge part of any school experience. If you go to the school, you'll see kids everywhere, either throwing cricket balls around or, or, or kicking footballs, as you'd expect, and playing netball and so on. Only two or three years ago, actually, one of our pupils uh, made the South African fencing team as an example, at representative level, we had a school fencing team that was uh, being able to compete with all the privately funded schools. So, yes, sport is important to us, uh, as is music, drama, dance and those kind of things. So it is a properly rounded education. We're not just focusing on the matric uh, results. There. But your, those matric results, though, are considerably above the average. I mean, South Africa, I get so frustrated every year when we announce uh, matric results and the Department of Education stands up and says, oh, we got an improvement. Um, and they, you know, they discount the kids who started in grade one who never make it through to sitting their matric exams. And there's a, a huge fallout within the South African educational system for a myriad of reasons. But we don't acknowledge that nearly enough. Um, you guys uh, have a very, very committed focus um, on the kids who come to you from the age of four. Absolutely. I mean, if you take the national statistic, it's absolutely horrible. I think of every 100 learners that start school, only 52 take matric. Of, the, of that 142 will pass matric, right? So, you know, when you look at the, the sort of the reported rate of 80% matric pass rate, it's 80% of the 52 that made it there in the first place, which is quite yeah. scary. When we look at what we're doing in Crystal House, our drop rate rate, and it happens very, very occasionally, we might get the odd child dropping out through the process, but it's incredibly rare. So we're in the high 90% in terms of, you know, those that start will finish and will take matric. Yeah, it, it's a, and it's so absolutely, it's so important. What sort of results are you seeing? I mean, what sort of strengths are you seeing coming out of the kids? Yeah, well, I mean, if you just say that the, the actual examination results and you take uh, 2020, which obviously was impacted quite significantly by the COVID-19 disruptions and our migration to an online training and learning program, we still got 100% matric pass rates and an 80% uh, bachelor's pass rate. So just think about that for a second. That 80% bachelor's pass rate is really what counts when it starts to be able to launch uh, children's careers into tertiary education and into value-adding roles when they actually get into the working population. That is not shabby. That really is not shabby. The trouble is what you've done for these children is you've given them wonderful access to a great education. It's been heavily subsidized for kids from very poor families. These are not kids who've got access uh, to the funding for tertiary education. And as we know, the funding of tertiary education at the moment is uh, very, very difficult. Um, and how then 
Are you able to? Do you see it as your responsibility to help these young people then transition towards tertiary? Because clearly you're giving them a head start on many other kids in the South African environment and you want them to be able to really exercise what they've learned in the 12, you know, 13, 14 years that they spend with you. Absolutely, Bruce. So our, our view is that we will try and maintain contact and, and create a support role for the individual for at least five years after they've left Christel House. That is not a financial support role. It's about career coaching and counselling. It's about support in terms of what they're finding difficult when they get to university and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of outreach support from the school uh, beyond the age of 18 until their early 20s. But as I said earlier, one of the things we're still looking at is how can we get better at that scaffolding, that that platform that you put in place for the individuals to succeed. Because you can only break this cycle of poverty that we talk about if these individuals start to get into value-adding roles in the economic community, not becoming uh, Uber drivers, quite frankly. You know, it's about how you put them into roles that can really make a difference to start to change change the value, the value chain. Have you been going long enough for this thing to be going full circle, where kids have matriculated and they've come back and they're starting to contribute back into the communities from which they've come? So we're 20 years old this year, so we're just getting to that point now where there's that almost pay-it-forward opportunity, and we certainly see some alumni coming back around, but I think we're going to have much more of that kind of virtuous circle ahead of us in the next few years, and it's something we're really looking forward to. Thank you so much for coming and sharing the story of the amazing Crystal House SA School. Ian Russell, who is chair of the school, uh, uh, founded in Ottery in Cape Town. Ian Russell, thank you for sharing that story.